Welcome to Red Carpet Retirement. This podcast is all about helping business owners and those in the entertainment and creative industries secure and protect their financial future. We provide educational stories and specific strategies so you can achieve the red carpet retirement you so richly deserve. Now here's your host, Adam Scott. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Retirement with your host, Adam Scott. Adam, how are you? Great, Eric. Great to be with you here again. Oh, same. I'm, I'm so excited. For the listener, this is podcast episode number three, and uh, the second podcast was fantastic. Adam, I know that you're going to kind of give a little bit of a, a recap on what that podcast was all about to get the listeners up to date before we start number three. So what would you talk about in episode two? Right. So Eric, just to remind the listeners and you that in the last episode, we talked about our lunar landing wealth management process. We talked about our secret source and the importance of sophisticated advanced planning techniques that help ensure a client's financial well-being, that those can really make a huge difference to a client's life, and that investment consulting is just one small but very significant part of that. Yeah, and, and I loved the analogy, quite honestly, the, the lunar landing analogy. I thought it was very good, really well done, um, because it's it's retirement's not easy. It's complicated, right? And you, you likened it to space travel and all the things that have to go right for it to end up right, correct? Right, absolutely. And uh, in talking in episode two in The Secret Source, a lot of that was about protection and building the spaceship right and thinking about murphy's law if it can go wrong it will go wrong how's that going to protect you in space travel you know how do you build in redundancy the same thing happens with wealth planning and financial planning that thinking about murphy's law if it can go wrong it will go wrong is critical to your financial success and to the investment consulting process yeah and and like the movie uh, i think apollo 13 duct tape Duct tape is the other thing that's very, very vital to anybody's plan, no matter what plan it is. So, so what are we talking about today then? In podcast three, what are you introducing to the audience? We're talking about our investment consulting process. So we're going to take a deeper dive into that. Yeah. We're going to talk, Eric, about our investment consulting process. Now, I have a particular name, or we have a particular name for this. We call it our 90-10 investment philosophy. And it's been developed over a lifetime of experience. And it's based on the work of two prominent Nobel Prize winning, winning economists and decades of financial planning research. Now, it rejects certain what I regard as kind of self-serving Wall Street myths. Mm-hmm. The first of those myths is that the markets always go up. The second is that you have to be with a Wall Street firm to access elite investment products. You don't. As an ind- any independent registered investment advisor, probably has the widest access to investment products that there is because we're not tied to selling the products of one particular firm. Third, Wall Street often seems to suggest that investment success is about chasing returns and buying the hottest stock or IPO. We do not believe that that leads to investment success. And fourth, and maybe most dangerous of all, Wall Street success uh, advises within that system to be an an effective advisor. 
they promote that they that advisors should be effective at selling clients rather than serving clients. We believe that the best way to take of care of clients is to be fee only and not to be compensated through product sales. So we sit on the same side of the table as our clients, and that is critical to our investing philosophy. Yeah, I think it's it it leads somebody to question someone's motives, right? If they're only if their main compensation is coming from the sale of a product, they're going to try to sell a product all the time. I mean, that's how they're going to make their money. So I I think it would put a lot of doubt in someone's mind. Right. Uh, absolutely, Eric. Even with the best will in the world, if you're being compensated for something, you're incentivized to do it. That's the absolutely. point of being compensated for it. Yep. Yep. So All right. just, yeah. So I, I know that you have pillars. You were, we were talking about started before the recording. You were just chit chatting about this, and you've got some pillars to discuss. And you've got five, if I'm not mistaken. You got it, Eric. We have five investing pillars, uh, okay. process pillars supporting our 90-10 investment philosophy. So I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of what those pillars are. Okay. Pillar number one is that we believe you should solve for the reliability of income as opposed to return on investment. Okay. Now, that may not mean anything to the listeners right now. We're going to get into that in the podcast. Number two, we believe that the best portfolio management should be based on the work of of Harry Markowitz and modern portfolio theory. Once again, we're going to get more into that later. Okay. Then we have a third element, paying attention to behavioral finance and the work of another Nobel Prize winning economist called Robert Schiller. Number four, to protect against potential black swan events, we need multi-fuel tanks on our retirement spaceship. So we use what's called a bucket strategy. And number five, we're going to talk about the importance of taxes and mitigating taxes in your investment strategy. Ah, uh, saving taxes for last. Very wise. <laughs> <laughs> saving right. the best for last. We all love yeah. taxes. All right. Well, pillar number one. So you said solve for reliability of income as opposed to return on investment. I find that very fascinating. What, what do you mean by that? Right. So many listeners may be uh, familiar with the concept of what's called ROI. And generally, ROI stands for return on investment. And that often is presented as the holy grail. You know, how, much you, how much is your investment growing over the years? But we focus on reliability of income, ensuring that if you want to solve for making work optional, which is what we're trying to do for our clients. We're trying to make it so they never have to work again if they don't want to. Well, what's going to replace that paycheck you've been getting? We need a reliable income source for the rest of your life that's never going to run out. Now, you may think that sounds the same as return on investment, but it's not. And I'm going to show you why it isn't. Two main things here. First of all, you got to remember the Will Rogers rule. Do you know what the Will Rogers rule is, Eric? No clue. <laughs> okay. So this famous wit and raconteur in the 1920s pointed out, the return of my money is far more important to me than the return on my money, right? Mm. The return of my money is much more important than the return on my money. Now, 
That sounds so obvious, it almost sounds trite. But investors so often forget that. Look at all the victims of Exhibit 1, Bernie Madoff, right? Mm -hmm. They were chasing returns, chasing predictable promissory returns. And it's very easy to give great returns if you're never going to actually return the money itself, which is what happened with Bernie Madoff. Yeah, that's, that's a disaster. Absolutely. Yeah, another story that there's just sort of close to my heart and maybe to listeners in this town in Los Angeles, there was a gentleman here called Merv Adelson, who was the king of Hollywood when I arrived here in the late 1980s. He owned a company called Larimar that made Dallas and Knott's Landing. He was one of the richest and most powerful men in town. And just a few years ago, he died penniless in a Santa Monica rent-controlled apartment. Really? Why? Because he'd been far more focused on the return on his investment and growing his investments and rather than on the reliability of income throughout his life. Hmm. Do we have time for another uh, example? Do we need sure. to get on with it? Okay. Sure. Well, means. Another, what I find fascinating example, Eric, is that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, two of the richest men in the world, they had a third investing partner in the early 1970s called Rick Guren. What happened to Rick Guren? Well, never heard the name. as Warren Buffett describes it, Rick wanted to get rich faster. Warren and Charlie, they knew they were going to get rich, but it wasn't quick enough for Rick. And he leveraged himself up. He saw a higher return on his investment and instead the whole thing imploded during a tough time during the 1970s. And he sold out all his stock in Berkshire Hathaway to Warren Buffett for pennies on the dollar. Wow. Right? So now don't just think, oh, well, this is the, the rich and famous that do these mistakes. No, during the financial crisis, I came across so many retirees who had had their portfolios implode because they had been in products they didn't even realize were risky, certain kinds of real estate investment products and, and, and poorly constructed portfolios. In fact, my own mother, Eric, my own mother had a huge holding in Royal Bank of Scotland stock in the UK that she'd have for decades. It performed beautifully. She was so proud of herself and it became a bigger and bigger part of her portfolio. I didn't know this, Eric, by the way. She would never let me under the hood of her investments. During the financial crisis, it turned out a lot of those returns had been fraudulent and mm. her stock imploded to zero, right? Wow. Completely jeopardizing my mother's retirement and financial well-being so that we're actually paying out of pocket for her today, decades later. Wow. So the next part of the puzzle about solving for reliability, reliability of income, the next uh, 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 potential pitfall is what we call sequence of return risk. So Eric, are you familiar with sequence of return risk? I'm a little bit familiar with it. I've heard it uh, talked about before. And if I'm not mistaken, it's kind of knowing where to pull out money, when to pull out money. So you're using the correct accounts, something like that. Yes. Yeah. It, what sequence of return risk, uh, again, shows is how it doesn't really matter how well your, your investments perform over the long term. 
if they perform really poorly when you need them. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, a retiree, it's absolutely critical that as they enter retirement, that they don't suffer really bad investment returns. So I'm going to tell you another little story. So to illustrate this, my uncle, well, call him Jim Roberts, was very proud of himself in the 1990s. He was into buying technology stocks, and he grew his $200,000 in 1990. He grew it to $2 million by the wow. year 2000. Now, Eric, $2 million back in 2000 was worth a lot more than $2 million is today, but many people would be very happy with $2 million today. It's oh, like many happy. retirees, right? <laughs> yeah. So he reached, reached age 68 in the year 2000, the year that he retired that with all his hot technology stocks. That mm. was the year. Do you know what happened, Eric? Yes, yes. I was in. <laughs> I lived in Seattle during that time. So yes, absolutely. It, the bubble burst, and it was ugly. It was. It was. And it was ugly for Jim Roberts. I, I, I laugh. I shouldn't be laughing. It was tragic. His portfolio dropped from $2 million to $300,000 because the NASDAQ, the technology index, declined by 85% over three years. People forget this. People forget that this can happen. Declined by 85%. Now, he was taking, he needed $100,000 a year to live on, he and his wife in retirement. Well, guess how long that lasts when you've only got $300,000 left? Yeah, not long. Not long. Now, Jim Roberts died last year in October 2021. Those technology stocks or the NASDAQ had doubled again from the year 2000. So his lifetime return on investment, if he still had his investments, would have been incredible, right? An incredible return. Mm. But the fact is, he no longer had the money because he burned through it because he suffered from sequence of return risk. Got it. Okay. Wow. So that gets back to reliability of, in of income. We need to solve for reliability of income versus return on investment when we're trying to make work optional. Well, Adam, I actually have an example from my own life as well. I mean, you, you shared about your mother and, and uh, I think it was your uncle, Jim. My parents kind of kind of fell into the same situation. I have an uncle that was very, very successful for his entire life in, in high corporate jobs. And he spoke to my parents and said, hey, this is, you know, here's a stock that is going to be amazing. It's going to just take off. Here's, you know, all this research on the company. And he, you know, he had some, uh, wasn't insider trading by any means, but he was just like, this is going to be, you know, the hottest stock. And they took a large portion of their retirement. I mean, a very large portion, probably $250,000 or so and sunk it into this stock. And they were so convinced it was going to do well, they actually gifted uh, myself and my sister $2,000 each in that stock. Said, here's this $2,000 worth of stock. And it didn't perform well. And it was it was around the tech bubble burst. And of that $2,000, it's still an account, I just haven't even touched it. Of that $2,000, it was now worth 28 bucks. So you can imagine oh, wow. what the, oh. you can imagine what the $250,000 did. They they lost money just like my sister and I did. We didn't lose much, but their 250,000 turned into just a few thousand at some point. And that was very difficult to even rebound from. I mean, they didn't rebound from that. I mean, they they had, you know, other retirement sources, but 
that was a huge chunk. It changed their retirement. And, and it was because they got some advice and they were chasing that return on investment, just like you're talking about. I was, I was having flashbacks when you were talking about it uh, because that's exactly what they tried to do. And it was, it just wasn't wise to put all those eggs in that one basket. Right, Eric, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that for you and most of all your parents. That is, um, that's really tragic. And sadly, you know, it's, it's not uncommon. I was thinking before this podcast, I didn't want, we're going to go through a few uh, what I call black swan events here about the kind of things that can happen. And people can so often think, well, it won't happen to me. But when you add up all the different kinds of scenarios that can happen, actually, I would say more often than not, these things happen to people in their investing lives. So it's so important to get good professional help in navigating your financial life and your retirement. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping after the pandemic, nobody says that's not going to happen to me because none of us saw a pandemic, right? And that changed the, the face of the world, not just finances. So right. anything can happen. I agree with you 100%. Right. And just uh, to put a cap on on the on our pillar one, you know, some other some sage words from uh, the sage of Omaha, uh, Warren Buffett, who said, don't risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need. Right yeah. now, oh, yeah. uh, I'm not saying that was your parents, but it for was. instance, oh, right, right. It was. Yeah, they wanted a, a bigger retirement, so they did risk what they had and they needed for what they wanted. And that's, you know, they're doing fine, but not as well as they could have been, you know? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. So how do we solve for reliability of income to ensure that our clients will never run out of money? Well, we use the next four pillars. And uh, we may not be able to get to all of these today, <laughs> today, Eric, so we'll see how we do. Okay. But the next pillar is, as we mentioned, is based on the work of Harry Markowitz and modern portfolio theory. We use what's called evidence-based investing to design client portfolios. Now, Harry Markowitz won the Nobel Prize in Economics in 1990 for showing that it's not about picking the best and the hottest stocks. That's not what results in outperformance and the, be and the best portfolio performance. It's about how you construct the portfolio, the, the different instruments that you put into the portfolio that all work together to give you the highest risk-adjusted returns. So for the given amount of risk, you're going to get the highest possible return. Or if you're targeting a particular return that you need, like your parents didn't need that return, right? They maybe needed a much smaller return. So how could they have done it with much less risk on the table, right? So, so often, if you're trying to solve to make work optional, you want to take on the lowest amount of risk that you can to reach your required return. And the work of Harry Markowitz in designing a modern portfolio theory helps us design such portfolios. Hmm. All right. That, that's interesting. Yeah. And actually, I have a story similar to, to yours, <laughs> sadly, uh, Eric, with my father, who I realized was onto something in the 1960s. And he was a doctor. He wasn't a professional investor, but he was really into investing. And maybe he'd been working, reading about the work of, of Harry Markowitz and modern portfolio theory, because he was walking me to school one day and he taught me how to create a perfect portfolio. I was only about eight years old. And I was wow. a strange kid because, strangely enough, I was fascinated. And he said how it had to have these eight to 10 different elements that all work differently uh, 
and that it would give you a much smoother ride over time and you could sleep at night because it wouldn't fluctuate so much. And that over the long term, a smoother portfolio performance actually results in higher returns. So Mm. all sounds good, right? But then he fell prey to events that our next investment process helps guard against. Hmm. And he made a hugely irrational decision. Hmm. So our next process pillar is our human psychology or behavior pillar that helps us navigate investment bubbles and black swan events. And it's based on the work of Robert Schiller, who won his Nobel Prize for economics in 2013 for showing that over the long term, markets can be inefficient and driven in part by human behavior. And this can lead to times when markets are better value and times when they are worse value and more treacherously to investment mania and bubbles to be avoided or to exaggerate sell-offs that give opportunities for value. Hmm. Now, my father, actually opposite to your parents, Eric, <laughs> you know, I always thought that my father made his catastrophic mistake, which actually I haven't told you what, what mistake he made. <laughs> so he ignored all his advice and sold all those, that perfect portfolio and invested in one sure thing, mm. which sure enough, Eric, you know the story, yeah. It went bankrupt. And oh, we, I was, th- I was, uh, what was I, um, about 13, uh, 11, 12, 13 years old. And my mother tells me that we've lost our entire life savings. And I asked, how? Because I had listened sort of assiduously to my father's lecture. And she said, Your father put everything in one stock, one sure thing. And it sure enough went bankrupt. Mm. Now, for years, I thought he was doing what your parents did and was chasing some hot stock. It turned out it was the opposite. I only learned in the last few years that actually a lot of the companies in the 1970s in Britain were failing. And so my father decided, having seen a number of his holdings go to zero, decided to put everything into one stock that he was certain would not go to zero. He put it into Rolls-Royce engineering that made jet engines. Mm. They had a huge contract with Boeing in America. But in that year, America under Richard Nixon, I think it was 1973, might have been 1971, Nixon decided to leave the gold standard that America had been on since, I don't know, prior to the Great Recession. That's right. They went, America went off the gold standard. The value of the dollar plummeted. Rolls Royce contract didn't take account of that. It was in dollars. Suddenly, they were making huge losses because of the the devalued dollar, and they went bankrupt, taking my father down with them. Mm. Wow. So, fear and greed both make markets do crazy things and can make investors do crazy things. Yeah, that's... There's another connection. My dad worked for Boeing. 
<laughs> really? Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd never, I'd never heard that before about Rolls Royce. I did not know that they went bankrupt, uh, in the seventies. But again, you just, you, you look at that company and you can see Rolls Royce today, but maybe not that branch of it. I don't know. I mean, that's, they've been around forever and I can see where your father would be like, okay, this should be a safe, safe place. Right. You know, it well, it was a bit like uh, like General Motors, right? That that mm -hmm. that they got relaunched during the financial crisis, but the original uh, stockholders lost all their money. So it was exactly. the same thing. Yeah. The government took over Rolls Royce, um, and then I think then a few years later it was relaunched, um, <laughs> but with new investors. Not my father. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that's painful. Yeah. So uh, this also shows my father's experience shows the uh, the importance of. Uh, watching out for black swan events. I mean, you can't predict what we call black swan events, but mm -hmm. black swan events are these things that can't be predicted, but come out of the blue. But still, although you can't predict them, you really want to make sure that your portfolio is, as much as you can, is protected against them and takes account of them. And the problem is that investors become so complacent that markets become overvalued and that's when black swan events can be their most treacherous. And you know, examples of black swan events are like America going off the gold standard, completely <laughs> unpredicted, mm -hmm. Russia invading Ukraine, COVID, a black swan event, right, that came out of the blue. And then most of all, of course, the most painful for many uh, current investors is 2006 financial crisis and the uh, the subprime bubble and, mm -hmm. uh, and fiasco, which just devastated so many investors. Yeah. So what worries me right now, Eric, is that within uh, that many US investors and the professional advisor community, they follow uh, many of them follow our pillar number two, but they don't follow our pillar number three. Mm. And there's this belief that because US markets seem to have always gone up long term, that they always will go up long term. The problem with this way of thinking in, in philosophy, we call it the floor of inductive reasoning that just because it always has happened, you assume it always will happen. Mm -hmm. And that kind of thinking is what led to the subprime mortgage crisis, because mathematical models were built on the assumption that market that house prices would never fall, or would only fall temporarily, that they would never fall catastrophically. But then they did. They did. And yeah. all that mathematical modeling went out of the window. So I'm very concerned that today investors and the whole professional investment world is a little too complacent regarding investments. And also, I remember the words, or it makes me think of the words of John Maynard Keynes, the, the father of modern economics, uh, uh, who pointed out that, yeah, Things may work out in the long term, but in the long term, we'll all be dead. <laughs> <laughs> a very true statement. Yeah. And then he also pointed out another very true thing that's good for investors to, rem to remember. The problem is markets can remain irrational for longer than you can remain solvent. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I know that you were hoping to get to all five pillars today, but we are out of time. 
And uh, I know that you've got pillar four and pillar five. Can we do that on a future podcast? And, and then I also wanted to make another offer that if, if listeners are saying, Hey, I'd like to discuss, you know, pillar four and five, cause you did introduce them. I'd love to get some, you know, have you give them your contact information so they can reach out to you. Right. Absolutely. Eric. So just to quickly touch on pillar four, which is our multi-fuel tank strategy, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise known as a bucket strategy, but we call it our fuel tank strategy based on the uh, on the space shuttle. And I'm going to explain how that works and how that helps navigate uh, and these issues and protect clients as much as we can against these kind of events. And then pillar number five, just as a reminder, is about tax efficiency and making sure that your rocket on its way to the moon is as efficient as possible and you're burning as little fuel as possible and losing as little money to taxes uh, uh, as you can. So, and regarding how to contact us, of course, the best way is to go to our website, www.wellacrewealth.com, or you can give us a call at 310-231-5262. That's 310-231-5262. All right, Adam, fantastic. Thank you for all the great information and and the stories. I mean, we swapped a few stories and it can happen, right? Good things and bad things. And I know that you're going to cover more good things in future podcasts, but if people want to reach out to you, you've got the contact information now, listening audience, reach out, talk about those last two pillars with them because it's fascinating. Uh, You know, he and I have spoken about this off air and, and uh, you're going to get a wealth of knowledge from Adam for sure. So again, Adam, thank you so much for your time today. Great. Thanks. As always, Eric, it's it's a lot of fun doing this with you. You bet. It is my pleasure for sure. And our last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Red Carpet Retirement Podcast with Adam Scott. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Adam comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. It also makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Wellacre Wealth, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wellacre Wealth Management, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content should not be considered as legal or tax advice, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor and consult with your own legal and tax professionals before taking any action. 